This, 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 this is K-U-T. K-U-T. K-U-T, Austin. Stop. This is KUT Weekend for the second weekend of December 2017. Thank you for listening. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5, the NPR station in Austin, Texas. Here's what we got for you this week. A special edition of KUT Weekend focused on guns. So police departments all across the country are trying to keep guns off the streets. Some organize gun buybacks, like one recently in Fort Worth, where police would check the weapon, give the person a $50 gift card. Takes about five minutes, no questions asked. But there's competition. Guys standing nearby waving fistfuls of cash with signs say they'll buy the guns and they'll offer more for them. More than 50. More than 50. More than 50. What do you got? Just an old shotgun. Well, let us look. Yeah. Can we take a look at it? Yeah. Have a beating more. Okay. You what? Investigative reporter Alon Stevens is with KUT's statewide news show, The Texas Standard. And he was also at that gun buyback in Fort Worth. And he chatted up some of the guys competing with the police. So when you hear this, uh, some of the rhetoric about getting guns off the street from the you know police chiefs and departments like Fort Worth right here, do you think that's an admirable mission? Do you think this is a waste of time? It's definitely possible for it to be both. I mean, in practicality, whether or not this is useful to, to the public, it's debatable. So what if I told you that when it comes to their duty weapons, that Fort Worth Police Department actually sells those back to the public? So they're putting guns on the street, just like they're trying to take guns off the street here. So it doesn't make sense. They're, they're doing something counter to what they're saying they want to do today. Hypocrisy. <laughs> the departments are selling their own guns to the public. Alon spent the past year trying to answer this question. Do those gun sales undermine police efforts to fight crime? Alon is an investigative fellow with Reveal, the radio show produced by the Center for Investigative Reporting. So we're going to listen to Alon's report and speak with him on the other side about some of what he's uncovered in Austin. Fort Worth is not alone when it comes to selling its guns. This happens all over the country. Take, for instance, this ad from a gun store in North Carolina. Hey, everybody. Ben with Classic Firearms here. And we have a really nice police law enforcement trade-in handgun to show you today. The mags release just very smooth and beautifully. They're on sale right now. Merry Christmas, folks. We appreciate and I wanted to know how many departments sell their guns in my home state of Texas. I requested records from the 50 largest law enforcement agencies in the state, and I found in the last decade, 21 of them sold weapons, putting more than 10,000 guns back on the streets. Fort Worth alone sold more than 1,000. I wanted to find out why. It took a lot of phone calls, but I eventually reached... Sergeant Mark, M-A-R-C, Povero, P-O-V-E-R-O, and I'm a public information officer with Fort Worth Police Department. I ask why his department sells its used weapons. He says they need the cash. Selling their old guns helps them pay for new and better ones. As far as our firearms are concerned, you know, we always want to have uh, the best firearms that are, that are operational and safe. 
obviously police officers have to have re- reliable equipment. So anytime that equipment uh, gets to an age where where we've agreed to uh, have it sold back to the distributor, then we're going to do that. The distributor is actually a gun store, which is an important distinction for Pavero. The way he sees it, technically, they aren't selling guns back to the public. I can assure you nothing ever goes straight from the police department to a person's hand. That's not how we operate. But that is how the distributors operate. These gun stores turn around and sell police guns to the public at a discount. Now remember, we're talking about 10,000 guns in Texas alone, enough to arm an entire army division, making it pretty likely that a police gun could fall into the hands of a criminal, right? Let me just say, I'm being real patient with you, all right? Because I know where you're trying to go with it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to buy into, you know, let's get into a conversation about morals and, and, and ethics. All right. You know, I'm a moral and ethical person in my mind, but let's let's stick with the facts. And we had a contract with the distributor and we abided by it. Fair enough. I wondered if selling their used guns raises ethical issues for other police departments. Here's Chief Greg Stevens from the Lubbock Police. The decisions I make are are data-driven. I'm not a knee-jerk person, and I make very few emotional decisions. I fully recognize the fact that um, absolutely one of our our guns could fall into the hands of uh, of a criminal. You know, that thought, that emotion, uh, that chance isn't enough for me to change what is, in essence, a business decision. But hard data is. And just like Chief Stevens... I wanted to get real-world information about whether old police guns are used in crimes. So I go to the remote hills of West Virginia to find a guy named Scott Thomason. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Where, um, I'm, I think I'm here. I, I, I think, no, you're not. I think you passed it. Oh, I passed it. Okay. Okay, so I'm... For decades, Thomason worked undercover as an agent for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Now he's retired to a more genteel life nestled in a modern homestead on a large plot of land. When I finally find him, I'm greeted by his two feisty dogs. Hi. How you doing? How you doing? These days, he looks like someone who'd be a high school football coach. Big, stocky, with a mean mustache. But years ago, he worked as an undercover arms trafficker. He remembers brokering a deal with a man named Chris, a neo-Nazi, who robbed a cartel and was looking to offload guns and drugs. I wanted to buy a gun, and um, I wanted to see if he had any other cocaine he could sell. Um, now, he said he didn't have any other cocaine any, anymore, but they, they might have a gun. I ended up meeting him, I think it was about three or four hours later, uh, in a hotel parking lot, and uh, he uh, sold me a, a Smith & Wesson revolver, a big chrome, um, shiny handgun, revolver. You know, it's kind of an old-school firearm, and but I, I do notice there's a, a San Diego Sheriff's Department uh, symbol on it. Scott closes the deal. Then he calls the San Diego Sheriff's Department, and he drops a bomb on them. He found one of their guns in the hands of a drug dealer. And there was a long silence and pause on the phone, and I said, I'm calling to find out if if this were stolen, if there's uh, uh, some crimes associated with it, or the set of circumstances why I'd be in possession of this firearm. San Diego looks into it, 
and discovers the weapon was one of many that the sheriff's department had sold. They call back Thomason and tell him they're reversing their policy of selling guns. They were horrified that uh, a revolver that was once carried by a police officer could have injured another law enforcement officer or somebody else because it was in the hands of, of criminals. Thomason is by no means anti-gun. He owns weapons and teaches shooting courses. We even do some target practice on his property, where he shows me a favorite gun used by police. So we've got a, a, a Glock 23. It's a 40 caliber. It's uh, extremely reliable, extremely durable, uh, and in a stressful situation, it can operate uh, off of rote memory and through training. Which he says is exactly why criminals like it, too. And police aren't just selling handguns. In the course of my reporting, I found that police departments all over the country sell, well, everything. Shotguns and precision sniper rifles. Assault weapons like the AR-15 and MP5. One Texas Sheriff's Department would sell fully automatic Uzis for just $300. St. Louis sold Tommy guns from the 1920s. If you want it, they had it. And like the Lubbock police chief, I wanted to see if I could find out how often these guns show up in murders, robberies, and assaults. What if I told you I was going to string that thread together to find out how many sold police guns ended up in crimes? What would you say to that endeavor? Good luck. Good luck. I decide to go to the source. I request information from ATF headquarters, what they call trace data, and I wait for two months before they tell me they lost my request. Six months later, and still no data. But they do invite us to visit their National Tracing Center in West Virginia, where hundreds of employees perform traces, tracking guns used in crimes back to where they came from. We sent a producer who joined a group of other journalists touring the facility. A big part of what we do here is, is kind of like, it's kind of like shift work. Um, Neil Trotman with the ATF leads the tour. He shows the group a room that looks like a call center. Hi, it's Dana Klein from the ATF National Tracing Center. I have a trace for you. Thank you. It's a 9mm pistol. There are also rooms where agents scroll through microfilm and sift through boxes upon boxes of paperwork. The, the building manager at one point in time, probably about 10 years ago or so, determined that capacity to be, to be about 10,000 boxes. Uh, we started having a safety issue where the floors were kind of buckling a little bit. So they started bringing in shipping containers, like what you see on tractor trailer trucks. We're, we're actually, I just, I just double checked, we're up to 28 of these shipping containers now, each containing another 500 or 1,000 boxes, somewhere in that range. Yeah, like Back inside, Agent Trotman explains why the process is so archaic. Essentially, uh, what, what we're prohibited from doing is establishing any sort of a searchable or perceived uh, database of, of gun ownership. Um, and, and working within the – let me start that part over. Let me start that over, okay? What we what – we, um, what we, oh, I'm trying to think. It's a question that touches on the sensitive politics around gun control. The, the, law, the law restricts – man, I don't even want to say it that way um, – the ATF is prohibited from creating anything resembling 
a searchable database of gun buyers. It's tied to this fear that such a database could be used to disarm Americans. So the ATF is stuck in an analog time capsule. And when it comes to the data I'm looking for, which could show how many police weapons are picked up at crime scenes, even if they tried to figure that out, they couldn't tell me. But it wasn't always that way. You see, back in the late 1990s, tracing information was public. There was a series of articles about police guns and crimes, like the one with ATF agent Thomason. Recycled cop guns were showing up everywhere. Gang murders in New York, a homicide in St. Louis, a white supremacist used one to fire on a Jewish community center. In 1998, the Denver Post estimated that police guns were found in the hands of criminals three times a day. Cities also start using this tracing information to file lawsuits against gun stores and gun makers. Gun manufacturers and lobbyists launch a counterstrike. They enlist Congress and push back with new rules on guns. Gun sellers can no longer be taken to court. A 10-year ban on assault weapons is lifted. And most importantly, they go after the very information itself. Through something called the T-Art Amendment, tracing data cannot be released to the public. To this day, the National Rifle Association contends that tracing data serves no useful purpose. These days, when it comes to used cop guns and crimes, all the ATF can say is, yeah, they see them in traces. But the details, they're top secret. And we asked Neil Trotman if even the police, say in Lubbock, could get data to figure out where their old cop guns are going. Actually, with, with, with the regulations as they are and the laws as they are, I'm not sure that we could. But that might be something that would be discussed at a higher level because it's among law enforcement and it's, it's with our law enforcement partners. For chiefs like Greg Stevens, that lack of information, it puts them in a tough position. Do they sell guns to make ends meet, possibly at the expense of public safety? A few days after 58 people were killed at a music festival in Las Vegas, I asked Chief Stevens whether mass shootings like that one make him think twice about selling his used police guns. It, w- it would certainly give, give, me, uh, it would give me pause. Um, I, I can tell you that this, this interview and, and the story that you're doing, um, it, it'll, I will reflect on it and it'll make me uh, certainly consider that and uh, certainly the possibility that they could be used in the future in, in some instance like the Vegas event, uh, the, the tragedy in Vegas uh, is certainly something to look at. That's the reporting of Alan Stevens. Alan is an investigative fellow for Reveal, but he's also an investigative reporter here at KUT for the statewide news show, The Texas Standard. What's up, Alan? Hey, how's it going? That's a great. That was a great story. Great. That took months. You worked on that for months, right? Yeah. Um. It took me almost a year. So it took quite a while. I'm glad that you can join me because I have some follow up questions about it. All right. First, I want to ask you about this lawsuit. That you've, you've, you're suing the Department of Justice? Yes, yes. So more specifically, Reveal and the Center for Investigative Reporting is, is suing the Department of Justice. Essentially, what happened is, for the purposes of the story, one of the things that we were looking for was something called trace data. When 
A police department finds a, a gun involved in a crime. They can request the ATF to trace it back to the point of origin. Of course, for our story, we we're looking about police guns that could possibly end up in crime. So, so the ATF actually has this information for how many cop guns are ending up in crimes. And in the story, we talk about some of the laws, how they can't give specific trace information. But one of the things that they can do is they can release aggregate data. So we ask for this aggregate data, just you know, kind of generally asking, hey, how often do you see police guns show up in crimes? And what happened is they, they said they lost my information request. Mm. It was after two months, you know, like they went silent, basically. They went silent. So I started calling them and they were kind of like, we don't know what's the holdup. It's taking us so long, but they would never give us a definitive answer. So the Center for Investigative Reporting, after eight months, they decided that they were going to file a lawsuit against the Department of Justice to try to get this information. That would be a very helpful in answering the key question you're trying to answer here, which is how right. often are these police guns showing up in crimes? I was curious about kind of what the local situation in Austin is regarding the University of Texas police and the Austin police. Are they selling their service weapons? Second, yes. Secondhand. Yes. So um, the Austin Police Department would initially tell us uh, early on in the investigation that they had sold about 500 guns. And when we were fact checking at the very last minute, the Austin PD came back and said, we made a mistake. That 500 guns, that document that we sent you was only for one shipment. We made multiple shipments of firearms and that number would double pretty much overnight into over a thousand weapons sold. Wow. And this kind of brings up this issue where a lot of departments kind of don't know exactly how many guns they sold because typically this is like one individual, someone in the armory that kind of just made this purchase order and sends these out. The University of Texas Police Department has sold weapons as well. Now, the UT system is kind of broken up into various different police departments across uh, each branch and location. So our reporting right now shows that they have sold almost uh, a little bit over 300 weapons. We try to confirm this information, but UT is actually very difficult. In fact, they were they were one of the agencies that fought the hardest to try to hide details about these weapon sales. Um, so we do know that they sold weapons. We don't know specifically how many they sold. But one of the interesting things that they did actually was they... You know, they tried to hide this information and they went to the attorney general's office to ask for this information to be blocked from the public. We had seen this before with a couple of the other agencies, but how they fought for it was interesting because while other agencies said, you know, we think that this be a risk to public safety because criminals could use this information. University of Texas Police Department would actually go one step further and say that this is proprietary information, that our, our weapon sales to these gun distributors are trade secrets and would expose our business dealings with the gun stores. Mm -hmm. um, so they so they're very hard to try to get the details of, of this information. Have from they them. have they provided that? They provided some, but what we got is pretty much heavily redacted. Mm. They would have to release some information, so receipts and types of firearms. We saw some handguns, we saw some shotguns involved in there. But you know they wouldn't release anything like serial numbers and any kind of more specifics so we could see exactly what guns could end up, you know, where. Something so. that struck me the most about the story that we just heard was how the police chief in Lubbock was very honest and candid with you about saying, you know what, I am giving second thoughts to this. Any other police chiefs 
or law enforcement officials express that concern or admit that, you know, maybe maybe we need to rethink this? Yeah. So, you know, this is something that within the law enforcement community, it's kind of polarizing because, as I mentioned in the story in the late 1990s, this was a story that people had heard about. It was being exposed. And some police departments across the country said, hey, this is a bad idea. Recently, a police department in Hawaii and a police department in Seattle both said, we're going to stop selling our surplus weapons. We're going to start destroying those. In the state of Texas, though, typically the approach that I was kind of hearing was, you know, what we're doing is is legal and this is something that we just have to do because we have to make ends meet, you know, and what do we do? We're talking about taxpayer dollars here. We're trying to be as frugal as possible. So we have to do this. And if we don't have any information that says this gun from our department is in a crime, then, you know, we're going to go ahead and sell sell those weapons. Now, the kicker is, is that they, they won't have that information because the ATF can't release that information very readily. To push back on on some of this, if a criminal can't purchase a gun that was surplus from a police department, couldn't they just get a gun from anywhere? Right, right. So I think the point of this story isn't necessarily that the police are directly selling these guns to criminals, because you're absolutely right. There's so many guns out there that a criminal can get a hold of a gun in a variety of sorts of ways from a variety of sources. The way you feel about this story is kind of how you feel about guns in America in general. On one side, if you believe that access to guns and access to certain types of guns are contributing to America's problem with gun violence, you're not going to take you know, too kindly to the idea that police have put thousands. I mean, we're talking major amounts of guns out here. Some of these guns being weapons that are highly criticized, like AR-15s and semi-automatic rifles like that. So that's one side that people won't be upset about. On the other side, if you're someone who doesn't necessarily feel that access to guns is a problem, there's still this question of our police being hypocritical in this, because there are a lot of police departments and a lot of mayors across Texas and the country that say there's too many guns on the street. We need to do something about this. They'll institute gun buybacks or they'll make these speeches and these kind of claims. Yet behind closed doors, they're possibly contributing to this problem because they're selling their own guns. What kind of criticism have you received, if any, on this story so far? Any anyone pushing back in any other way saying, hey, what do you who cares? They're not breaking the law. Yeah. And I and I kind of expected this. A lot of people are saying, well, this attacks the idea, this notion that it's perfectly lawful to own a gun. And I understand that I own guns on the website of the story. Those are my guns and it's me shooting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I own weapons. But one of the things is that people say, hey, you know, these people are buying these weapons lawfully. Yeah. But that's only kind of like one side of the equation, because all guns essentially start out as legitimate purchases. It's what happens to them afterwards, and that's how they end up in crimes. And we know that they get stolen. We know that the secondary market's completely unregulated. We know that someone who bought a weapon lawfully and passed a background check one day, years down the line, could turn to crime. And that's how that gun moves from one hand in one situation to the other situation. But the question I think really at hand is, you and I, hey, we're regular people, we could sell guns, that's perfectly lawful, but is it right for a police department that's held to a different standard? Is it okay for them to sell firearms? 
What's next on this story? Are there, are there any other sort of like spinoff angles that you're going to be covering? Yes. So one of the things is that, again, with this lawsuit, we're waiting to see what happens with this ATF information. We could potentially see, you know, the frequency that these guns are falling into the hands of criminals. Also, you know, we asked for memos and communications, and we know that these are out here where the ATF in the past has warned police departments, hey, we're finding some of your guns and crimes. Maybe you guys should knock this off. So that's also something else that we were looking for um, when we put in this Freedom of Information Act request to the ATF. But overall, I think there are a lot of issues with just gun laws and how people are getting a hold of guns that we really don't know about as the public. We just don't know. There's a lot of question marks about how guns move. So learning about that system, I think, can be applied to a variety of different stories in the future. Well, I look forward to hearing them, Alon. Alon Stevens is an investigative reporter for the Texas Standard. He produced that story for Reveal, which is a project of the Center for Investigative Reporting. He works here at KUT, just a few cubicles over from me. Thank you for being this edition of KUT Weekend, Alon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's KUT Weekend for the second weekend of December 2017. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast. If you have any feedback, email me, Nathan at KUT.org. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast at weekend.kut.org. Our theme music is by RAC. Thank you so much. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5 and KUT.org.